This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. You're listening to the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, the podcast devoted to all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and this is episode number one. Today, we're talking with Brett Owsley from the Wisconsin DNR about all the awesome opportunities for sportsmen in Wisconsin. Brett is the Southern District Wildlife Supervisor for the DNR's Wildlife Management Program. And not only does Brett work for the DNR, but he's also an avid outdoorsman. His passion for the outdoors and specifically all that Wisconsin has to offer is going to be evident in this conversation. In this episode, Brett and I get into what a year looks like in the life of a Wisconsin sportsman, the lands that are available for public use and enjoyment, and some of the different programs that the state uses to recruit, retain, and reactivate sportsmen. Before we get into the conversation with Brett, I just want to give you a brief explanation of why we're doing this podcast. I grew up in the Deep South hunting and fishing, but when I moved to southern Wisconsin a year ago, I was absolutely blown away. There are public lands scattered all across the state. Game is plentiful. The DNR is active in not only promoting the outdoors, but ensuring a quality experience for outdoorsmen and women. So this podcast exists to celebrate all that the state of Wisconsin has to offer. We will have on a variety of guests, folks from the DNR, hunters you've heard of, fishermen you've heard of, local legends, average Joes with stories of success and tag soup, And through it all, we will be encouraging you, the listener, to get outside, take advantage of the bounty of opportunity we enjoy, and share your love for the outdoors with someone that you know. The more people we have enjoying outdoor recreation, the more people there are to protect it and ensure the same opportunities are here for our children to enjoy as well. With all that said, let's jump right into our conversation with Brett Owsley. On the line with me now is Brett Owsley from the Wisconsin DNR. Brett, how are you doing? Uh, doing great. How about yourself, Josh? Doing very well. Uh, looking at the sunshine out the window, the snow is melting just a bit, and I'm getting excited to get outside. So uh, really anticipating everything that's uh, that's coming, a little bit of trout fishing, a little bit of turkey hunting, and so uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, well, before we jump in, uh, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like you said, my name is Brett Owsley. And you know, living here in Wisconsin, I'm a proud resident of Wisconsin for roughly the last 10 years. Other, you know, outside of that, I kind of traveled all around, uh, originally from West Central Illinois. So I was, you know, one of those fortunate individuals that walked outside every day to a farm with plenty of wildlife right along the Mississippi River, and kind of grew from there, working on a farm, hunting, you know doing what kids do when they live 20 minutes away from the nearest stoplight. And so kind of had that as a, you know, how I grew up, you know, with kind of the love of natural resources. And that ultimately led into 
somewhere along the line, me getting some crazy idea that, man, if I could do this for a living, that would be, that would be a good idea. You know, I think I could enjoy this. Um, and so I attended Iowa State University uh, with a major in wildlife management, essentially, and uh, with the goal of being a wildlife biologist for, for a state wildlife agency somewhere, or, you know, at that point, you know, National Park Service, you know, one of these organizations that really was focused on natural resources, um, just due to my love for, for hunting and fishing and trapping and you name it. And I've uh, been very fortunate that that decision essentially has kind of carried me across the country. Um, I've been very fortunate to work for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, the Colorado Division of Wildlife, uh, Ducks Unlimited in Southern uh, Illinois, a white-tailed deer property in Southwest Texas, a biologist in the state of Florida. Uh, so kind of all over the place. And then ultimately in 2012, with the hopes of getting closer to family for my wife and I, uh, I got a job here for the Wisconsin DNR and the wildlife management program. Uh, really kind of focused on really the view of natural resources, the, the quality and variety of natural resources that Wisconsin does, that has. And quite frankly, growing up, you know, a bordering state from Illinois and even going to school at Iowa State, Wisconsin was always very well known to have a very good Department of Natural Resources. You know, there's, there are names in the lexicon of Wisconsin that everybody recognizes and probably most and foremost is Aldo Leopold and knowing that he was a part of Wisconsin and basically some of the foundations of his teachings, you know, while he was here in Wisconsin still ring true uh, today. And so being a part of that legacy, I think was something that might be more on the romantic side, uh, but certainly something that was of interest to, of mine. And I, I never would have guessed that my first job, I would be basically supervising uh, the property that's right next to where the shack was, where Sand County Almanac was uh, written. Um, so, you know, now, you know, I'm a, the Southern District Wildlife Supervisor uh, for the DNR's Wildlife Management Program. Basically comes down to, I, I supervise and manage the Southern 18 counties, kind of the Southern third of Wisconsin for our Wildlife Management Program you know, consisting of wildlife biologists, wildlife technicians, where we're out doing wildlife surveys, managing the thousands of acres of public land in, you know, from wildlife areas in Southern Wisconsin, uh, in the Point at State Game Farm, where we uh, essentially raise about 75,000 pheasants to be released on public land, uh, you know, for the people for to enjoy for pheasant hunting. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at now, you know, and really kind of what set me on the path here and very interested in our discussion today. But, you know, it, it's great to be involved in natural resources and just the variety that we have here in Wisconsin is certainly um, keeps the job exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds, uh, sounds pretty broad. It sounds like you have your hands in a little bit of everything. Yeah, yep, absolutely. You know, where's you know, as, as we typically say, you know, from a natural resources standpoint, there's probably not an element of your life that isn't touched in some form or fashion by natural resources. And so, you know, we take our jobs very serious, but it's certainly we're able to have some fun and, uh, you know, we've, we've got plenty of plenty of work to do here in Wisconsin. 
Sure, sure. Well, um, so you're not just a uh, person who works for the Wisconsin DNR. You are a an outdoorsman as well. Why don't you go into a little bit of uh, sort of where your passions are right now? Like, what do you love to do outside in Wisconsin? Yeah, so, you know, we're coming out of winter, like you talked about, it's getting warmer. So my interest in being outside is certainly increasing uh, as the temperature <laughs> goes up, that's for sure. Um, but kind of really started off, I grew up, uh, my father was a deer hunter. And so from then on out, I can remember having a scrapbook uh, as a kid where I'd cut out every picture of deer, elk or moose and glue it in there saying this animal I'm going to I'm going to shoot this animal this year during the season and, you know, really fell in love with, with, with hunting and that quite frankly, in, in my family and probably not so dissimilar to others, there were parts of my family I only saw during deer season. Uh, you know, that, you know, that's a, that was a family event. We'd get a group of people that wouldn't come together other than deer season. It's just, that was the event. And so, you know, kind of fell in love with, you know, obviously as a kid growing up, you know, hunting what was really what you appreciated getting outdoors and, you know, being independent and, uh, and showing your family, look what I can do, look what I did sort of thing into, oh, wow, this is a group of friends that are family and that I only see during this time of, time of year. And it's, it's great. And the stories you have around a campfire, for us, it was a two-car garage uh, that we would go and have lunch in sort of thing. And so I've kept that up. You know, I'm a hardcore hunter. I, I love to hunt. Uh, deer hunt still is, is probably my primary. I love to bow hunt, uh, spend a lot of time in the woods, uh, bow hunting. And then turkey hunting is probably, uh, might be my first, my number one passion now, as far as interest goes. They occupy a lot of my thoughts. I know that much. Uh, of how to become a better turkey hunter. But then it's really about just getting outside. You know, I now have a, I, what's really exciting is I have an eight-year-old daughter now that uh, I've drug her around when she was small enough and maybe didn't want to go to now that attitude is slightly changing to where it's like, hey, let me come with. And, and that's really been exciting to see um, what it's like for kind of first time like brand new eyes it's almost you get to relive your childhood again through through your own child's eyes and through my daughter's eyes and she's been uh on turkey hunts with me on deer hunts with me checking beaver traps with me uh she she gets involved in all of it and it's certainly added a, a another layer to kind of my our outdoor pursuits they're largely now based around my daughter you know what she enjoys to do you know, we have a boat, we'd love to go out on the lake and, and my fishing is slightly different than her style of fishing, you know, and so the boat reflects that, that it's more of a eight year olds fishing boat and friends boat than it is a, you know, her dad's fishing boat sort of thing. And so that's kind of where my pursuits are pretty much anything outdoors. I, I'm, I'm involved with it or interested in it. And so it certainly helps, you know, when your job is involved in all of those aspects that your personal interests lie in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things you touched on uh, is something that I hope we can get into more and more as this podcast grows is uh, looking into how we can get our kids outside. Uh, the prevalence of screens today 
And uh, I think what that's doing to, to young people and, and just so many kids missing out on those opportunities that you and I had growing up, you know, we got to see the benefits of that. And, and today, you know, families are busy and we're back and forth and we're got kids uh, planted in front of a screen just to try to keep them occupied for a little bit of time. And uh, yeah, I think that's great. It's uh, awesome to hear about you getting your daughter outside. Um, speaking of that, I think this year in particular, there were probably uh, you talked about seeing the outdoors through fresh eyes. I think there were probably more people outside 2020 into 2021 than I have ever seen. I went to a small public uh, public piece of land to go turkey hunting this year, and that may have been the biggest mistake uh, <laughs> at, at that particular day um, because I, I on this one property there were 14 other guys out there that I yeah. saw either in the parking lot or out in the woods. Um, didn't seem to diminish the quality of the hunting. I mean, we all had, we're having a good time, but man, more people outside. Have you guys noticed that with the DNR in uh, either um, license sales or harvest numbers? Yeah. License sales have been up, you know, for sure, you know, from a, you know, deer standpoint, you know, our licenses were up, you know, when we had the archery crossbow, all of that element to it. And then Turkey licenses last spring were certainly up. And so, you know, and we're seeing that, as you know, in the wildlife program, we manage several thousand acres across, so, you know, across the state, you know, uh, several thousands acres across the state. I tend to focus more on the South just with, with my position, but yeah, we certainly saw that across the board that more people were, you know, quite frankly, we were stuck inside. And now it was like, how do I get out? You know, where, where do I go? Um, what doesn't have a close a close sign next to it, you know, and certainly addressing the all of the concerns with uh, COVID-19 and, and, and working through that is more, you know, information and that was coming up, it seemed like it was coming at us, you know, at a million miles an hour. But certainly the one thing that we could always say is you can go for a hike, you, you know, you can go out and, and turkey hunt and, and one of the items that you know, I would talk to some of my friends that aren't necessarily hunters. You know, I told them, I said, you'll never find me in a grocery store waiting in line for meat. I can tell you that, you, you know, the, we had food shortages, you know, just with processing plants, you know, getting shut down. And, you know, the, there was a run at the grocery stores, quite frankly. And I'm sitting here going, I killed an elk, uh, two deer, two turkey, you know, you guys can have all the meat you want, you, you know, if don't go start, you don't need to starve sort of thing. And um, that was kind of where, you know, what we saw a lot of people, I think, turning to specifically in the spring turkey season was that, you know, in the February, early March, where uh, COVID certainly became very real uh, in, in the state of Wisconsin and things started to shut down, it was, all right, what opportunities are out there in turkey season, I think, uh, certainly picked up. We showed through license sales, but just the overall interest. And I got to get out of my house. And where can I go? And and you had touched on something earlier that you and I had access to. I grew up in the idea that I to go roam on a piece of property we owned. That wasn't anything I ever thought of. You just walked out the door, gun, bow, you name it, in tow, and just walked. And I was on our property no problem. Nowadays, that is, that is way more the exception than it is the rule. 
And, you know, we see that in our, in my professional standpoint from a recruitment standpoint of hiring new wildlife biologists and wildlife technicians is that I'll generally ask, give me a show of hands who grew up on a farm. And probably back in the nineties, even when I was hired, you know, getting out of college early 2000s, there'd probably be a lot of people that would raise that hand. And now we're just not seeing it, you know, no. you know, no. from family farms sold off the, you know, farms getting bigger, you name it, kind of, you know, becoming more of an urban society. Um, that's changing. And so I think we've got to start to change in our communication that, you know, that public land that you were on isn't just for hunters, you know, it's for everybody in the state of Wisconsin to utilize and hike and understanding now there's a lot of people that actually have to think before they're just able to go for a hike because they may have to drive 15 minutes. And I'll say in Wisconsin, that is one of the benefits of being here is that you might only have to drive 15 minutes. You probably could drive less and get to a piece of public property. Where I grew up, that wasn't the case. You, know, you were driving a lot further to get to any piece of public ground. And, and I think that's where we've got to start with that next generation of getting people out. My daughter probably will be interested in hunting and fishing. Why? Because her dad is. Now, where do we go? And I have access, you know, I, I know where these public lands are, you know, do, and I'm doing everything we can to make sure others do as well. But then how do you get those individuals that may have never hunted before? Now, due to a pandemic, quite frankly, are like, oh, I, I want to know where my food comes from, or I want to know where I can go out and go for a hike, um, and maybe not come across a bunch of people. Where are those places? I think the question and the pressure now falls on programs like mine of saying, now we have you. Now you've spent a year, those 14 people, you may have went there two years ago and seen four. Those 10 additional people, what do we do now with them? Do we continue to promote and say, look, this is what we have. This is what we have to offer here. You know, here's a, a learn to, for, to hunt for food event for you. You want to know where your food comes from? Here's a way to do it. How do we bridge that gap now that I think, quite frankly, uh, COVID-19 has assisted with? Now, how do we keep it and turn it into more of a positive manner to keep people engaged in what's going on in the natural resources around them? You know, along those lines, um, you know, I, I'm... Uh, an everyday hunter kind of guy, right? <clears throat> uh, the recruitment and the retention and reactivation of hunters uh, has been important to me for the last couple of years. And I haven't known really how to get people involved, what to do besides maybe bringing a buddy along or something like that. But now I see this massive wave of people who are going uh, maybe back to their roots, back to what they used to do. Uh, or like you said, they're just looking for a place without a closed sign, you know, just looking for something that they can do, or they want to, they want to know where their food's coming from, or they want to know if there is another food shortage, where can they go get their food? So can you go into a little bit uh, of all that the state does to uh, recruit new hunters, to retain hunters? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and I think it's important to note, you know, that what we're seeing in Wisconsin what we're trying to mirror what largely is a national movement, you know, the R3 movement that is called with recruit, 
retain, reactivate, you know, and that's really about bringing, you know, recruit, bringing in new hunters, retain the hunters that we have, don't, don't lose them and reactivate those hunters that we've lost, bring them back. And how, how do we do that? And so it's really been focused on, uh, on a national strategy. Most states are dealing with it because a, a lot of, I think a lot of people know that, you know, for me in the wildlife management program here in Wisconsin, I am almost 100% solely funded on the sale of hunting and fishing, good, you know, hunting goods. You know, we have a, called the Pittman-Robertson Act, as well as through hunting and fishing licenses. You know, for fishing, it's a, a different name, the Dingle Johnson Act, but we're largely based purely out of those sources. So like general tax revenue for funding of our program day-to-day -day activities is largely non-existent. And so, for us, we want to bring in obviously new hunters to continue to support a lot of the work that we're doing. And when you see a lot of those long-term trends where you see a, a steep decline in participation, obviously that concerns individuals like me for us, for us to have the ability to continue to manage those lands that we're trying to get people out on. But also um, here in North America with the North American model of conservation, we rely on those people to manage our wildlife species, you know, and that's through hunting, through fishing, through trapping. And as that number goes down, our ability for us to manage species in that way, I think could be at risk. You know, if we use hunters to harvest a significant number of deer every year in the state of Wisconsin through for management, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different reasons for that, but, you know, just imagine what harvest would look like in deer populations in roadways and agricultural fields and uh, foresters trying to regenerate trees if we had half as many hunters out there you know to harvest deer you know i think that would lead lead to issues and so there's a it's a very heavy topic and and has a lot of different uh, kind of variables that come with it but so what we're doing is really kind of tapping into uh, the learn to hunt, uh, mentored hunting. You'll see where our rules have generally become uh, a little bit more easier to understand. So basically what we wanna do is remove as many barriers as possible. You know, that's what we look at. What is a barrier to join? Just like any club uh, that, that I'd say, you know, we all get thousands of magazine subscriptions. What's the barrier to join? Is it, money? Is it knowledge? You know, what is it? And so for us, we look at it on uh, the R3 program managed through our uh, law enforcement is mostly focused on learn to hunt, hunt for food, really tapping into like that locavore movement. You know, that has been something that's been ever increasing here in the last few years and this year certainly grown again of trying to understand where your food comes from. And so we still have all the hunter safety classes and, and those sort of things, but those types of programs are, are becoming more and more popular, you know, started out, I think at UW-Madison with college students. And uh, then it kind of expanded from there to where we're turning it into a more of a statewide effort. And, and those efforts are largely uh, partnered with uh, many of the great conservation organizations, you know, throughout the country and throughout the state, you know, Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, you know, learn to hunts that are offered, you know, on private landowners are all certainly something that we're, 
we're being involved with. The mentored hunting, I've been very fortunate the last two years, uh, have taken two new hunters out deer hunting with me. You know, I, you know, have the opportunity to t take a couple people with me and it's been very exciting. The last two years, they both shot their first deer. Um, and I, I still go back. This was a, a friend of mine had never hunted before. And this was his first time did the hunter safety course, went through it. I sat with him a one gun. And after he shot his first deer, he's like, I think you're more excited than I am, you know, sort, sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and so those are great stories. And it was something, I'll be honest, that I may have been in the past a little reticent. You know, it's like, that's my opening weekend. I love to hunt. Um, and now I've done it two years in a row where I, uh, and I'll do it to next year as well, of just to see new people experience the outdoors. And what I take for granted to see it in other people's faces and eyes is, has really been, I think, eye-opening to me. Um, so I always encourage folks, if you can take a new hunter out just to show them the ropes, because it certainly can be intimidating to, to take that first step if this is something with anything brand new. Um, but when you add in hunting and carrying a firearm certainly adds another level of complexity to that intimidation that, that I think we have to address and, and, and openly discuss for sure. So these folks who are, who are uh, maybe in the past year, they've been looking like, oh, I'd really want to want to get outside more often, or uh, what are some of the, uh, some of the things that um, are opportunities out there for us? So I come from a, a state in the deep, deep South. I'm born and raised in Alabama, and uh, there are some opportunities there. But when I moved to Wisconsin about a year ago, my mind was blown at just the number of, of critters to chase the number of fish to go after. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, in the course of a year, what are the opportunities that that folks can have to get outside? Yeah, I mean, pretty much every month you could focus on something different in Wisconsin, whether that's, you know, from an outdoor recreational pursuit, and that includes outside of hunting, you know, fishing, trapping, you know, certainly other pursuits there. Uh, but pretty much in every month, you can darn near find something that, that you want to be interested in. And I think that's where with Wisconsin, you know, for me, the first start is, you know, from our website, we also have an app, Hunt Wild app. Um, I know there's a, you know, bevy of like Onyx maps of where you're just trying to find a place to do this activity. And, you know, X activity, where to hunt. Um, we've got interactive mapping that shows all our public lands on site in the Hunt Wild app that you can download on your phone also shows all of that information. So for me, you know, start out with where you'd like to go. Um, it, it certainly varies in every county, but I'm convinced in every county you can find a piece of public land that's accessible to hunting in Wisconsin, um, which is probably, I would, I guess, fairly unusual. I know the state that I live, you know, grew up in wasn't that way. Um, and so, you know, I like to break ours down into more seasons, you know, the, you know, the seasons of an outdoor uh, recreationalist. And if I started in January, certainly that's where, you know, the ice lovers, the hard, hard water fishermen, fisher, you know, people are out there on sitting on ice, uh, ice fishing there becomes a, a really big, big interest and coming from Alabama, it was probably shoot coming from Illinois. <laughs> I know the first time that I 
drove by and see all the cars and trucks and the small villages that pop up on a random inland lake full of ice. It's like, oh, so grumpy old men, the movie was right. You know? <laughs> yeah, it makes you a little uneasy. You look out there and there's a pickup truck yeah. sitting there. It's like, I'm not so sure that that's okay. Yeah, certainly. And so, you know, in that early part of winter, you know, we still have deer seasons going on as well in many of our counties, our farmland counties that have an extended archery hunt, as well as in those metro areas. So, you know, you can turn the page on a year and in that same, you know, in January, that very next month, you're still out there with, you're still out there hunting. And so, you know, winter is largely, you know, what I'd look at, you know, from my standpoint, we're ice fishing. And I'll try and trap a little, you know, focused on winter activities on trapping, but, you know, snowmobiling is, you know, getting people outside cross country skiing certainly is, is a major player there. Uh, snowshoeing, you know, cross country skiing, you know, so from a side note, when we buy land, so in the wildlife program, you know, they're largely called wildlife areas, but basically what you do on a wildlife area is almost identical to a state park. You know, there, there's no special regulations on a wildlife area other than really on why we buy them. And we really buy them for what we call the five main nature-based outdoor activities of hunting, fishing, trapping, hiking, and cross-country skiing. So cross-country skiing right there is like a primary use that we say for, for our wildlife areas. And then working through, you know, all the way into February, ice fishing, sturgeon spearing is, is very well known, you know, in the Winnebago system. And then kind of moving into March is where March is where I think everybody gets a little antsy. Ice is a little dicey. Um, and then you're, from my standpoint, it's like, man, you hit March, it's turkey season. I'm, I'm going to be prepping for two full months, pretty much. And then you run into the spring and it is fishing and, and turkey season. You know, people are, are out doing that. Uh, I'd be remiss to say in the wintertime, the, the predator hunting, coyote hunting is a, is a, is a big time interest for folks uh, here in Wisconsin. But spring is a, is a turkey season fishing day. And then pretty much summer, I use it. That's my my boat recreational time, getting out hiking on our wildlife areas, our state parks, kind of utilizing all of those great natural resources. You know, try to get out to a new state park, a new wildlife area, a new part of the state that never seen before um, uh, during the summer, and then prep for the fall. Which, you know, as a sportsman uh, living in Wisconsin, you know, when the clock hits September 1st and it's morning dove season and early goose season and teal season it's all right you know take a deep breath because this is going to be a fun ride and it's going to last <laughs> till essentially the end of December um, and so that's that's really what it is like, there is something every month you could do a new activity on a piece of public land in the state of Wisconsin outdoors and just have the time of your life and I think that's that's probably the bigger statement. There's just so much to do here and doing whatever we can to remove those barriers for people to enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely. I love uh, the just the vast array of opportunities that, that they have here in Wisconsin. And uh, one of the other things that's been a surprise to me, I mentioned I grew up in Alabama uh, and then I, I also lived in Louisiana for a few years. And uh, when we were there, the closest public land to me that we could get to was over an hour away. 
So I had to drive for over an hour to get to a, yeah. a piece of land that I could reasonably get out on. And even at that point, uh, they weren't necessarily uh, family friendly, if that uh, if yeah. that makes sense on these these public pieces. Yep. Uh, but here in Wisconsin, that does not appear to be the case. I've got public land all around me, and it looks like it's pretty evenly distributed. I mean, the obviously up in the north, there's a ton more, uh, but it's yep. pretty evenly distributed. So can you tell me a bit about what kinds of public lands are available for outdoor recreation? Yeah, so and that's the I think for the, the the key is that there is a wealth of public land opportunities here in Wisconsin. And some would say that's that is entirely up north, you know, and it's pretty darn close. <laughs> you know, the US Forest <laughs> Service, uh, state forests and county forests, there is a ton of public land. And I think that's something to remember here in that, you know, city and county properties are are a huge part of the public land system in Wisconsin. Actually, I believe the County Forest Association, largely in central and northern Wisconsin, are the largest, the largest landowners in the state. Wow. And all of that land essentially is open to whatever you would like to do, you know, hunting, hiking, trapping, you name it, it's open. And so those, uh, they're great partners. And a lot of them are really focused on habitat management, wildlife management. And so um, I know some of the best grouse hunting spots and woodcock spots that I go up in northern Wisconsin is all it's purely based on county forest land and so those are huge partners with us and then we have on the state side more focused you know from a southern Wisconsin standpoint wildlife areas I mean we have you know thousands of acres almost in every county of that that's owned and managed by the wildlife program where virtually it's if you can hunt there, you can trap, hike, ski, bird watch, cross country ski, snow, you know, snowshoe, you name it, uh, that probably receive a little bit less pressure uh, just due to um, maybe information. You know, it's not a Devil's Lake State Park. You know, state parks are, are very well known and we have a lot of them in Southern Wisconsin as well that are open to hunting, fishing, hiking, you know, you name it. And those are, those occur in many counties in Southern Wisconsin. We have wildlife areas, I believe almost in every county in Southern Wisconsin that, and they can add up from 25,000 acres, you know, in Jefferson County to 30,000 acres in Columbia County. So, I mean, these are not small, you know, we have 200 acres here, 200 acres there. They can add up to five, 6,000 at, at, wow. at a time. And then we have the Kettle Moraine State Forest in Southern Wisconsin, the Lower Wisconsin Riverway. So we have these state forest natural areas that are really open, just the same as like a state park or county park. And to me, the have less amenities, you know, they're, they're a little bit more rugged that we may not have a bathroom, you know, actually a staffed bathroom that you may see in a, a city park or, or an outhouse that you may see in a county park or something like that. Uh, just due, due to sheer magnitude of the properties, but they're open available. And what's what's interesting is, you know, we factor that in from the DNR standpoint when it comes to looking at potential properties to purchase, you know, coming from a willing seller that they largely reach out to us and we'll take a look. And what's amazing is how many acres of public land we have within an hour's drive of over a million residents in Milwaukee County alone. And then you factor Madison and to know that 
you know, if you live in Madison, you can probably drive maybe 10 minutes in either direction and be on a, a wildlife area um, where, you know, you may run into a couple other people that are, that are hiking or walking a dog, or you want to go on a bigger run, you can be on the lower Wisconsin Riverway and float the river in for an entire hour, not see a piece of private property almost Wow! Uh, due to it being public land. And so, you know, we really are focused on providing access because I think we, uh, you know, we understand more and more and the pressures certainly are there more and more that that is going to be the limiting factor. We want to give people an opportunity to get outside. If they want to go out, get outside and hike, great. If they want to get outside and hunt, even greater, you know, sort of thing. And, uh, you know, in Wisconsin, that limit isn't there because we can get you to a piece of public land. And like you said, in, in probably 10 to 15 minutes, barring where you're from, you, you can be on a piece of public land that's, that's open to all those activities. And I think that's unique for sure, specifically even in the Midwest. Uh, look at Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Michigan, I mean, Minnesota, Michigan, and us, you know, we're similar with the amount of public land, but um, you can't say that in many states in, in the Midwest specifically. Yeah, for sure. So how, how then, how did Wisconsin end up in this place with just a, a tremendous amount of public land for outdoorsmen? Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from that early recognition, you know, of some of those pioneers of, of trying to protect land, you know, and then working through the state legislature on providing us the ability to purchase that land. Uh, for one, you know, the stewardship program has been a, a program in Wisconsin that's been, you know, gets discussed in the, in the political cycles, but is largely credited for a significant amount of the public land that um, we've acquired over the course of time by basically it's bonding from tax revenues that allow the, the state to use that money uh, to purchase land, as well as uh, using federal grants. You know, the Pittman-Robertson Fund, you know, which is that tax on hunting supplies, will use that. One of their primary drivers for Pittman-Robertson is that the ability to secure land if needed. And so we've taken advantage of those of those cycles and that funding to to purchase land to prioritize land, and then you know other federal grants, other programs where uh, the North American Wetlands Conservation Grant, NACA grants, as we call them, they basically give you matching funds. So we'll say we've designated you know we've spent three hundred thousand dollars on this management of this property and this property, and you bring a bunch of partners in. And then you'll get money in return saying, all right, well, we'll match you one-to-one -one, and we'll use that match to buy, to buy land as well. And so um, we have a lot of interested uh, people, you know, you can turn on a natural resources board, basically our uh, rulemaking uh, board for the DNR. And almost every month there's a donation to the department in the form of land or, or money uh, that, I think it's just a clear recognition of people in Wisconsin that view this as a priority and really cherish that opportunity to, to have public land. And so it's, it's prioritized certainly here. Yeah. So what I, what I heard you say there is that the next time I go out and make a hunting gear purchase and my wife looks at me strange, I can just tell her, I'm just doing my part. I'm just doing my part. <laughs> That's right. To, right. Just doing my part to support the state. 
you know, buy some more property. I, I say, I say that a lot. I, as an employee, <laughs> I'll just go out and say, Hey, I'm just helping myself. I might be able to get a project completed on the ground by buying this. So this is, this is what I like. You know, I, I used to always laugh, uh, at ducks unlimited banquets that I would attend, you know, during the banquet, during the live auction or a raffle, you know, somebody would buy something and at the end of it, he'd yell for the ducks, you know, and so that's, uh, we say that a lot. It's for the ducks or, or for the other animals, for the deer sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that people contribute to and it's largely a user pay system, you know, from how we do projects on the ground, you know, you buying hunting supplies is, is helpful. And some of the other ways I'm guessing uh, license sales and those sorts of things. So uh, if we're not going to be, um, let's say, buying a hunting license, let's say I just like to hike. What, what can I do to give back some to uh, rather than just being someone who's taking from the resource? How can I give back? Yeah, and I think, you know, people that are hiking, I think getting out on the properties are helpful. And, you know, for me, it's reflected in what they think is important you know, from a conservation standpoint, one of the items that, you know, we used to talk about a lot is that just because uh, you don't hunt doesn't mean you can't buy a hunting license. Um, You can still buy those. You can still buy a turkey stamp, a pheasant stamp, a waterfowl stamp uh, to show your support in in that way. And we certainly have individuals that do that, that, you know, I've never picked up a gun my entire life to duck hunt, but I have every waterfowl stamp there is, you know, you will hear those stories and a lot of it's focused on people that are interested, you know, outside of that, you know, as I say, just being a good steward of the land, you know, people volunteer their time, you know, to help on, on properties to help pick up trash. You know, we also have the, the cherish Wisconsin fund, that uh, people can round up to, you know, when they're making a purchase on something. So there's plenty of opportunities. You know, I usually say the biggest thing you can do is stay engaged and stay involved. And, and by doing that, you're, you're, you're making a difference there. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Stay engaged and stay involved, be on the lookout, be proactive, be, be looking at to where you can, where you can be uh, giving back to uh, this resource that we all share, right? Something that we all enjoy, something that we all take part of. Um, so I just want to, um, real quickly, as I'm thinking through a new, let's say a new hunter, someone who's just realized, uh, in the last year, wow, I really, I really need to lean into this a bit. What are some, maybe it's somebody who's, uh, since we've got Turkey on the brain, right? Maybe it's somebody who's saying, I want to get out and Turkey hunt this year for the first time. Where are you going to point that person and what are you going to tell them to do? Yeah. And so to me, you know, I always find it interesting and, uh, that it will sit there and say, take your eyes off the screens, get outside. And my first piece of advice is going to say, put your face in a screen, go to our website and figure out where you want to go. <laughs> like, do you have a property? Um, but quite frankly, what, in what I, I think is slightly underutilized to me, I would say, um, go to the RDNR website type in what county, let's say you live in Dane County, type in wildlife biologist and call Julie Widholm or wildlife biologist. And she'll help you, you know, will help you call me and give my number out. It's, uh, you know, Brett Owsley, you can find my number and I'll help you. Uh, because that's what we want to do. We want people to help. We, we want to be able to help one another. And, you know, if you don't have a friend, you, you know, I think 
that's always helpful to be able to rely on just somebody um, that that may help show you so help show you the ropes. But I would say find a property because that's that is typically the limiting factor, right? That is where it really gets intimidating. Of oh man, I've never been out here before. What do I do? And you know that could start in the summertime on a regular. I just want to get outside. Pick. Um, Brooklyn Wildlife Ferry in Southern Dane County, for an example. That's where I want to go. It's close to my house, understanding that most people are going to recreate within 30 minutes of their house. I mean, that's been proven through studies. So let's say you live in Southern Wisconsin, you know, Dane County, Brooklyn Wildlife Area. I would look on a map on my phone. And the good news is that the phone does remove some of that intimidation, right? It's, it's hard to get lost. <laughs> any yeah. anymore yep. if you've got cell yep. phone reception you know i remember going into college and having to read maps you know and having to be able to say what quarter section was this off of and i had to find certain items in in one of my cartography classes nowadays i can just pull this up on my phone know exactly where i'm at where the car is and how far away it is hmm. um, and so i would say find a spot and, and hike around you know, just go for a walk, you know, in the middle of the day, nice weather and kind of keep track. You can keep your log, you know, track where you've walked. And then once you've gotten comfortable with the, the property standpoint, like, oh, I, I know this place back backwards and forwards. And then it's the, the hunting standpoint, the, you know, what's your comfort level with, with a firearm, hunter safety course, uh, do you want to do it learning to hunt for food or a learn to hunt program, get signed up for one of those, you know, those, the hunter safety course is something I think, you know, people will sign up for, but then there's really no after, you know, okay, you can safely handle a firearm. Now what? Those other programs typically will say, well, we want you to take hunter safety course and now you're going to have a mentor for a day and you're going to get a, a mentored hunting experience. So I think if you've got one of those programs to certainly uh, sign up to it, typically our, your local conservation clubs are all holding those events, you know, and so you can sign up there. You can sign up through our website at the at Wisconsin DNR and really get an idea. So you've got a comfort with the gun, comfort with the property. Now it's kind of putting them together, right? You're, you know where the property is. You've let turkeys, you've seen turkeys out there in July. You've seen them out there in August, September, you're go snowshoeing in the winter out there. So you know this property really good. You're comfortable with the gun, ready to go hunting. You, you're either going with someone or going by yourself. Now it's getting out there during that time and scouting, right? You know, that's the, very rarely do you show up your first time hunting and you put everything together and, and it works. You know, it's, it's kind of getting out there and having that story to tell for me, it's scouting where are these birds at, you know, and getting set up and being prepared. If you're, if you're prepared, the rest is, is just fun at that point. And I, I think that would probably be my biggest piece of advice, you know, from a public land standpoint, mostly because I see that being a hangup. Like, I don't know the property. Um, I'm not comfortable out there. And so that, that takes time certainly. And, and that's, I think where people can, you know, they may not recognize it, but they possibly where they walk their dog, they could also be hunting. And probably there are people hunting there. They just don't know. And so um, 
getting out there, enjoying it. And then when it comes time closer to the season, get out there, you know, in the dark, listen for birds, gobbling, you know, try to put yourself in a good opportunity, but there's plenty of resources out there now where, and people are willing to help. This is one of those that I do think hunting and fishing get a little bit of a bad rap in that it's very secretive. You know, this is my spot. I'm not going to tell you about my spot. And so then there is a increased trepidation to ask, right? You know, you don't want to you know, what question are you going to ask somebody, you know, a friend of yours that hunts, oh, where'd you kill that, you know, sort of thing. That person may not answer you where they killed it, but I bet if you asked, will you help me get into hunting, almost without a doubt, they're gonna, because it's something they love, they're passionate about, and and so people are, are very willing to help you. They may not be willing to tell you exactly where to go and, and what to do, because that's part of figuring it out, right? Sure. But they're there to help. And and that's what I recommend strongly. It's not as tight-lipped as people maybe may believe um, that people want to help. We want to see more hunters out there, more f- people fishing out there, more people trapping. And so that's what we're there. And I want us, you know, from a DNR. I want to be used as a resource. You know, I want those people to feel like, hey, we can call this person up and and ask them questions. We we want to be a resource to you. Yeah, I know back uh, over the last year, I guess, I've been making lots and lots of phone calls to the Wisconsin DNR. Uh, just with all sorts of questions, the, the regulations are very, very different than uh, what, what mm-hmm. I'm used to. And so uh, I come up here and I have always been greeted with the friendliest responses through email, the friendliest responses on, on the telephone, and uh, even when it comes to public lands. So, you know, I think a lot of people are intimidated to go out onto public lands because they're afraid of running into another hunter. They're afraid of mm-hmm. ruining someone's hunt. They're afraid of uh, what if somebody walks in on me. Uh, and I think really just afraid of, of uh, an interaction that they don't find enjoyable, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this past spring and even a bit this fall, I ran into several guys uh, who were incredibly helpful. Last spring, uh, I pulled up to a, a little trout stream out in southwestern Wisconsin. And I pull up and it's my first time fly fishing on my own. I'd gone with a guide one time before. And I go out there and there's another guy there. And I'm like, Oh, no, what do I do? What do I do? So I just go over and I talk to the guy. Hey, man, uh, it's my first time ever doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. You mind giving me any pointers? He tells me exactly what fly to use. He says cast right over there. And uh, next thing I know, he's helping me, you know, he's showing me where to go. And the same thing uh, sort of happened during the spring, uh, spring season, you know, guys are more than happy to say, oh, yeah, there's a bird over there. I chased him around all day, but I couldn't get him, you know, and uh, we're just folks are more than happy, uh, I think, to to maybe not, like you said, tell you exactly where to go. Mm -hmm. But I think very happy to be uh, helpful in any way that they can. Uh, One more thing I want to circle back to uh, because it's a resource that I didn't know was available until Uh, I saw it on YouTube and that is the hunt wild app. So is that available for Android and iPhone? That is correct. And that's, that's just a free app. Free app. It has all of our information on there. It's linked to our licensing system. So you can be in the app and purchase licenses. It links to our registration pages as well, but it has all of our public lands. It has the regulations in there as well. So it's kind of a, you can keep everything all right there um, in, in the Hunt Wild app. So it, it's certainly something available and is, is useful. It shows our property boundaries, you know, so, you know, 
when you're when you're on public land, you know, if you're a hunter, you know, I think ever, more people are afraid of being on someone else's property than just about anything. Oh, yeah. Because that I, you know, because then you sit there and you say, well, the landowner has a right to be mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. not supposed to be here. <laughs> and so the app does show our property boundaries now. Um, I would say go as posted, you know, on, on the ground, if you're walking through there, but it has our legal boundaries, uh, on the app, but it needs to be uh, still as a hunter, follow what's posted on the ground versus, well, it says I got two more feet, you know, that's, I would stay behind the sign sort of thing, but yeah, it's a, it's certainly a, a huge benefit, you know, for hunters, you know, because it is all just about increasing information and trying to make things a little bit easier of, not having to go outside of some system to look at a map, then look at the regulations. And then, you know, well, when is the end of shooting hours? Well, we have a timer that will program where you're at. This is the end of shooting light. And so um, you can set it as vibrate to where it go, an alarm goes off when that time goes off. So when I'm bow hunting, that thing's going off and like, oh, well, this is the end of the day, time to go home sort of thing. So. Um, yeah, it's a huge, uh, I think it's been a very valuable tool. We continue to make updates on it to make it uh, a little bit easier to use for everyone, but it's certainly out there. Fantastic. Fantastic. So uh, if people want to learn more, uh, they can reach out to you guys uh, over the phone via email. They can go to Wisconsin DNR website, uh, check out the uh, Hunt Wild app. Uh, anything else you want to leave the listener with today? Yeah, I think, you know, for, for me overall, you know, our website, you know, you can just Google search Wisconsin DNR, otherwise it's dnr.wi.gov. But to me, it's just, you know, get out there. You know, we have a resource, you know, here in Wisconsin that, that many other states don't. And typically we don't recognize what is in our backyard. You know, I'm one of them. You know, I, I'll run across the state to another property to turkey hunt. And it's like, well, there's one 10 minutes away from my house that probably has the same amount of turkeys, but for whatever reason, it's like, oh yeah, I've never been there. Uh, And so I just take a look around and never hesitate to reach out. I I think that is something, you know, from my standpoint in in the wildlife program is if you've got a question, you know, feel free to reach out to somebody. They'll help you. You got questions, you know, that's what we're here for. We're, you know, public servants and, and we want everybody to have an enjoyable time. And if that means getting out on your own private property or getting out on one of ours, great. We just want you to have a good time because uh, the natural resources here in Wisconsin are extremely valuable and we're very, very fortunate to, to have them here. So um, like you said, there's not a, there's not a month that goes by where you can't be doing something here in Wisconsin. So um, anytime we'd, we'd love to hear from you. That's right. That's right. Well, thanks a lot, Brett. I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I appreciate your time and maybe we can circle back to you at some point in the future, maybe uh, around mid Turkey season, we'll get an update from you on how things are going. No, that'd be great. I, I really appreciate the, the time here, Josh. And yeah, I would love to anytime we can get out and I could, I could sit here all night and do this. <laughs> so anytime <laughs> we can get out and talk natural resources, uh, uh, super appreciative and I enjoy it. So I really do appreciate the time from you, Josh. Very good. We'll do it again soon. Thanks a lot, Brett. Yep. Thank you. And there you have it. Episode one is in the books. Big thanks to Brett for coming on the podcast. I'm looking forward to catching up with him later on uh, this spring to hear how his turkey season is going. 
Also, big thanks to you, the listener, for hanging in there with us during this first episode. If you haven't already, go subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network so that you can keep up with this podcast and stay up to date on all sorts of other relevant outdoor content. In the next couple of weeks, the weather is going to be warming up. The snow is going to keep melting. So take the time to get outside with your family. Go for a hike, shoot your bow, catch some fish, go find some sheds, maybe even scout for some turkeys. Do something to take advantage of the resources we enjoy as Wisconsin sportsmen. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.